Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another one of our Legends podcast here on Eurosport. Uh, and today I am joined again by my good friend and the Masters champion of 1998, Alex Korecha. Uh, Alex, I, I, I'm going to give you a chance to talk just now because we also have the eight-time Grand Slam champion, Ivan Lendl, former world number one for 270 weeks, uh, one of the greats uh, in our game. So, Ivan, I'm going to start with you. You're the oldest uh, in the panel today. <laughs> Welcome to, to the show. Thank you and, for that. Uh, how is everything going with you uh, during these tumultuous times in, in America? Well, everything is going good. Uh, you know, everybody adjusts uh, as they have to, and uh, we just move on. <laughs> Very true. Alex, Spain, uh, you guys have been going through tough times with the pandemic and the coronavirus. What's the situation there where you are? Well, similar as Ivan just said, uh, first of all, thank you for having me here with the two of you, it's a big pleasure for me, guys. And of course, Spain has been struggling big time, but little by little, it looked like we adjust a little bit and we understand a little bit more how do we need to proceed if, if we need to know about how to proceed, because I think nobody knows in these days. Mm. Yeah, no, very difficult times, of course. But somehow the tennis circuit is moving on. And can you believe it, guys? We are uh, celebrating the 50th anniversary for the now-called ATP Finals. Uh, used to be called the Masters, uh, the Volvo Grand Prix Masters, the Nabisco Masters. It's been all over the world. And, of course, now it's in the uh, last year in the O2 Arena in London. Uh, Ivan, you won this thing five times. You made nine finals in a row at the Madison Square Garden. What on earth did you eat during those weeks? How come that suited you so well? It's just like the US Open, Mats. I ate home food. I was staying in Greenwich. I would go in the morning uh, for practice in Madison Square Garden, go back home have lunch, rest a little bit, and then drive for the match again. And uh, I think home bed and home cooking is, uh, is the key. So you actually went home. If you, if you had an evening match at the Masters, you would drive home to Connecticut and then come back in? Correct. Because if you go against the traffic, it was only about 35 minutes. That's right. And you, of course, drove a very fast car in those days, I remember. Um, well, and I car is not the issue the speed limit is huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah no true yeah i could never keep up with you um so alex you won it in 1998 you beat your good friend carlos moya 
uh, you, this was your most successful tournament. Of course, you made the French Open final a couple of times, but, but for you playing indoors, what, what happened to you that, that week? That, that seems like it wouldn't suit you that, that well? Well, uh, I have to say, probably I won it because mentally I was very strong and physically as well. And as you know, you play that tournament at the end of the year. When I played that final, it was 29th of November. So the players are already kind of exhausted. And I have to say that that year, the ball was bouncing quite high because they changed the surface. And it was like a green set, which it was not that fast. So I could adjust myself a little bit. I won Leon a few weeks before. So I felt like I was sort of ready to, to play against the best players in the world. And yeah, maybe I was a little bit lucky because I saved a few match points against Sampras in the semifinals. And I was two sets to love down against Moya in the final. But uh, somehow I, I managed to, to win it. And yes, I have to say it's my biggest tournament, yes. Um, yeah, no, no, I mean, unbelievable. Uh, you're going to get back to who you beat along the way. But Ivan, um, it's interesting when I look at your record because you won, you won two Masters titles before you won your first Grand Slam. But the opposition was tougher in the Masters because you would have to play five matches against the top eight in the world. What, what suited you about kind of knowing your schedule, knowing who you're going to play three or four days in advance, uh, and then maybe the round-robin format? Why, why was it so, so good to you, apart from sleeping at home? I don't really know much, to tell you the truth. Um, also, keep, keep in mind, we played on a very low-bouncing, fairly quick surface. Yeah. And for some reason, I had a really good record on that surface, even though I didn't like it. I did not yeah. like Supreme Court, but I had a long match uh, winning streak um, on the Supreme Court. And uh, I, I, till today, I do not know why. I mean, I imagine that the, on your backhand, the ball wouldn't bounce up as high so you could hit your backhand and your forehand would skid through the court and would be impossible to return. So I can see why, Ivan. <laughs> yes, but on the, on the other hand, uh, I didn't, uh, it was difficult to pass when yeah. somebody came in on a good back and slice because the ball was so low and with one hand it was very difficult to lob as well. So they could close in on the net. So that, that's kind of confusing to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, you played unbelievable. I played a couple of times. Alex, you beat Pete Sampras. Why is this the place where you beat Pete Sampras? Pete indoors. He won this thing five times as well. Talk us through how you thought you can beat Pete Sampras. Well, I lost to him, as you remember, back in 96 at the US Open. Seven, six, we remember. Everyone remembers. <laughs> yeah, everybody remembers, yes. He was totally sick. But, but I have to tell you something. Everybody remembers because he won that match. Because if I would have won, they would say, Correcha beat Sampras because he was sick. So in a way, I prefer Sampras to beat me that match. So like this, at least they remember the match. Anyway, uh, so I had the feeling that I could, I could manage to, to beat him. And my only goal, it was trying not to play short, try to play as many times as I can to his backhand, and especially maybe not go too much for my first serve, more go for a big percentage of serves. And I remember I won 7-6 in the third that day. And my only thinking, it was like, okay, kick to his backhand and then try to go with your forehand, three, four to the backhand. And maybe if I have a room, go to the forehand. But if not, just keep on going to the backhand. He will play cross like this so I can play forever. So mm -hmm. that was pretty much my, my tactics, uh, yeah. I have to say. 
Just, I, I wish I had tactics. Uh, Ivan, I have to ask you now, we're talking about Pete Sampras. You brought Pete Sampras once to the Madison Square Garden to practice. I remember you brought him and you were saying that, oh, he's the new up and coming. And I didn't really pay much attention. What, what, what did you, uh, why did you bring Pete at that time? How did you know he's going to be so great? Because he wasn't great when he was 17, 18. He became great over a year, basically. Well, uh, Pete was uh, training with me the week before the Masters at my house in Greenwich. Uh, we trained at uh, my tennis club at Banksville. And uh, he, I just thought it would be good for a youngster like that to be around uh, big players and see how they do so he can learn. I remember when I was a kid and I could be around good players, I was looking at everything they do and how they prepare for the match and what they do after the match just trying to be a sponge and learn. And I thought it would be good for, for the young man. As far as uh, the talent, you could see the raw talent. I yeah. thought he was going to win some majors. Obviously, I didn't have an idea that it's going to be 14. <laughs> yeah, that's always and, a and problem. And Mats, what about, I mean, how come a guy like you that won several Grand Slams, like Rafa, let's say, but never won the Masters, and especially, I have to say, I have to bring this, got kicked by Iban on, I think, 87, when you just made like seven games in the final. And did you like the fact that you play with no tram lines? Because I did love it, but I'm not so sure about you. Uh, so, Alex, thanks for bringing that up. Well, <laughs> 1987, um, I lost to Ivan in the finals of the French Open. That was pretty close. I lost in the finals of the US Open. That was also pretty close, even though they were four sets. And I would have needed to win at least one of those to have feel like I had any chance. Playing Ivan again indoors for me was just the worst possible scenario. I know I never beat you indoors, Ivan. I hardly literally won games because I couldn't break serve. And somehow it didn't, it didn't suit me to play Ivan uh, because he was just way too good. The tram lines. We played a few years without doubles lines. And I thought the point, once the point was in play, it was okay. But to return serve, I could never figure out how, far, how much outside the singles line I was supposed to stand in the deuce court. Am I one meter away? Am I half a meter away? And with the doubles line, you could, you could feel it. So I didn't like it at all. I mean, I really didn't. But that, no, I, I thought it was horrible. It looked good on TV, but... Um, I tell you some one thing about the New York uh, situation when I played Ivan. There was a spectator at that time, and I think I was number two in the world, Ivan, because you clearly was number one. And the spectator in the middle of the third set, he screamed out something like, Hey, come on, VLander, what are you ranked? 200? <laughs> and I'm like, Oh my God, just take me out of here. Get me out of here. So, yeah, I can't not, Mats, I can't believe you actually hear what people scream. Well, after 6262, it's I'm I'm hearing what people are. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you ever got beaten that badly, Ivan, but that was a, a very horrible I, feeling. I was uh, I, I got beaten plenty times badly and uh, and I usually was so angry I couldn't hear myself, never mind yeah. anybody else. <laughs> but what do you think? So let's talk. So, so I didn't win it. I couldn't. Uh, I didn't play very well there. I played great in 87, but just lost to a much better opponent. Rafa Nadal has not won it. Alex, why, I mean, we kind of know why the surface doesn't suit him and whatnot. But yeah. again, why, why can Rafa not win this? What, uh, 
What's well, I, I think his game is not as effective as on other surfaces, of course. And I have to say also, from my point of view, when he gets to the master, usually is not the case this year. He's just nearly toast because we yeah. know that physically he spends a lot of time and making big effort. So I think mentally he's sort of like on, almost empty. And then the end of the year, the, the core is not bouncing as high as he wish. And at the same time, he already won probably Roland Garros. Many years he won US Open, other years Wimbledon or so. So I think it's not, it doesn't come as natural as uh, maybe you guys where you used to work indoors. For us Spanish guys, we work outside through the whole year. So yeah. for a Spanish guy going indoors, it needs to adjust his game. So I think that's why for Rafa, maybe uh, it's a little bit uh, difficult to, to win the Masters, which maybe this year it's a little bit different because, uh, yeah. in my opinion, it's, it looks fresher, I guess. Yeah. Talk, talk, I mean, talk to me about the round-robin format, both of you guys. Uh, I know, Alex, you actually lost a match in the round-robin format when the year you won. Ivan, I'm not sure that that happened to you, but, but how, how does that change players' mindset? And I have to ask the question, do you think it has ever happened that a player would have thrown a match to get a better draw in the semifinals? Alex, you lost a match against Tim Henman and still won the tournament. Yeah, well, I didn't throw any match, of course. It was just that Tim was better than me. And it was funny because my coach told me before the tournament, like, yeah, you got to believe you can do very good in this tournament. It was like, okay, indoors, it was not my best place to play. And when I lost to Henman, I went into the locker room. And as you know, we have our own locker room in the Masters. So I looked at him and I said, okay, yeah, I can do very well. I'm out of the tournament already. He said, like, no, wait. Because if you win the next round, you know, next game, maybe with different results. So somehow I just went into the semis. I, I faced Pete and then Moya. So it gave me a second chance, which in a regular tournament, Ivan, that never happens. Ivan, Yeah, I, I agree. It's... it's uh... It's good and bad. Obviously, it's good for spectators that everybody gets three matches and uh, they get to see their players. And it's bad that uh, you can lose a match and still win the tournament. I'm not necessarily a mm -hmm. fan of that. But uh, it, it is what it is. Uh, it's the same thing as the tram lines, right? Uh, you like it or you don't like it, but it is what it is. You have to deal with it. You have to do the best you can with it. Mm. Did, you, you, did you lose any match, Ivan? Or you all, all the tournaments you won, you just won all the way? I, I can't remember because, once again, it's irrelevant. He won yeah, so right. many times that he doesn't remember. No, but <laughs> what I'm saying, Alex, it's irrelevant whether you lose a match or not. That's not what you remember. You remember right. whether you won the tournament or not. I remember one year I lost to, uh, I lost to uh, Jacob Hlasek. In 1988, actually, I was after shoulder surgery uh, about a month before that, and I lost to Jacob Hasek, and then I lost the first set 6-1 to Agassi, but I ended up beating Agassi, and then I ended up beating Tim Mayer, and I lost to Boris in the finals when we had that 7-5 uh, in the fifth set tiebreaker, that long rally, when uh, uh, like 37 shots or something, he hit the lead court, right? The lead, yeah. And, uh, and uh, but uh, as disappointed as I was that day, I was also very pleased because I knew I'm back after the shoulder surgery. As you guys know, when you get injured, especially if it's something serious, uh, you need your confidence back. And it showed me that I was back. Yeah, uh, that was what I mean. 
one of the best matches or most interesting, intriguing matches that I've seen actually uh, during my time as a player. What do you think of the five set scenario now that we we bring up that? Because Ivan, the way I'm looking, every final you played was a three out of five set situation. And, and what the players can't deal with that today or what, why is that not a rule? I do not know why there is, it's not a rule, but I do know for a fact it's hurting the younger generation in the majors. Uh, yes. I have a theory, Mats, that, uh, and you tell me what you think after. I have a theory that it takes certain amount of, uh, or certain number of four and five set matches, not three love or love three, four or five set matches to learn how to deal with it. It's a new thing. It's very different than two out of three. And we had Davis Cup, we had every finals, we had uh, final ATP finals, and so on and so on. And you could get to, let's say, 20, 30, four, five set matches in two to three years. Well, today the guys can't get there. And then all of a sudden, it, to me, it's a huge advantage for the older players to know how to deal with it against the young guys. Mm. Couldn't agree more. Alex, what do you think of that? I agree 100% with that. Yeah, definitely. As I said before, when I lost to Sampras, I lost 7-6 in the field. That gave me the experience to then know how to deal with such a tense situation, which usually when you play an hour and a half, you don't have this kind of feeling. And, and I agree with Ivan. I actually miss this kind of best of five finals. I know mm. now they want tennis to be faster and to just play you know, quicker and everything. But in my opinion, I mean, Masters final, the, the best tournament of the year for the ATP, it should be 100% a best of five. 100 percent this yeah. is my opinion no no i think i think you're right but uh let's let's move on a little bit and and talk about uh, andy murray you both uh, have uh, interest in andy murray and both helped him along uh, along in his career of course andy murray won it in 2016 became the world number one i was actually in the stands and ivan you were coaching murray how did that uh, feel for you sitting there uh, I know that he won a couple of majors with you before then, but still, this is to be world number one at home. Uh, how nerve-wracking was that for you, Ivan, to work with Andy there? Uh, it, it was not nerve-wracking at all. I felt uh, very confident that Andy is going to win that match against Novak because he was playing well. And also, uh, keep in mind, he already was number one. It was who is going to finish the year number one. Right. So it, exactly. it's not all of it. It's still a bigger deal to finish the year number one than being number one during the year. But uh, I felt Andy was playing well. He has lost one match since Wimbledon, since French Open. He lost yeah. to somebody, I think Nishikori maybe, uh, at the US Open. Mm -hmm. and Or Stan or Nishikori, I'm not sure. But he has uh, won uh, Queens, Wimbledon, Shanghai. Everything he has, everything. Uh, he has played. And... Uh, he was number one that way, and he, he was on a roll mm. and uh, played really well against Novak as well. Yeah, no, so, no, I saw the match. It was unbelievable. Alex, you, yeah, I'm going to give you the word here because I believe you're the one that sort of cleaned the, the path for Ivan took all the – he took all, all the, the success and he made – you know, Ivan made Andy Murray win grand. What did you do with Andy Murray, Alex, that uh, helped what? Ivan become the super coach? <laughs> Well, I have to say, when I first met him, he was very young, and he, I could say probably he was not as mature. It, uh, maybe he needed time 
you know, to realize how, I mean, he knew he was good, but he had so many pieces of the puzzle, like all over the place. So I think it was good for him to take them all together. So I think all the combination, it went that then, of course, Andy was very good. And, and with uh, Ivan, they just found the perfect moment to realize that they, he can do it. And I was always amazed, Ivan, and I don't know if that was a tactic that you wanted to do with him or so when you were watching his matches. You didn't want to show him any any passion or any nerves, or it was just the way you are acting with, with the people that you work with, or it was just specifically with Andy? Well, no, uh, I believe there was enough emotion in the box to start with. They didn't need any of mine. They were all jumping <laughs> up and down at all times, right? But... Uh, I think uh, calmness uh, was something uh, which has helped Andy. Uh, Andy is very emotional and uh, he can have ups and downs. And I think just somebody, and I believe same thing in tennis and golf that uh, you can't have big ups and big downs. You have to be somewhat, somewhat level-headed to uh, succeed. And uh, it was not necessarily, uh, necessarily planned that way, but uh, it, it was good for Andy, I believe, that somebody is there who just observes and is level-headed and doesn't get carried away with the emotions because uh, less emotions on the court, uh, better you can play, in my opinion. Mm. You know, I, th I think I have to bring it up. I got, I got in a little bit of trouble here during, <laughs> during the French Open with Andy Murray. He lost to Stan Wawrinka in the first round, and I was watching it and, and commentated uh, on it for Eurosport. And I thought we saw an Andy Murray that wasn't that excited. He got beaten pretty easily. Uh, he wasn't excited. He wasn't angry. Um, and I, I'm not sure, Ken, when you played tennis for such a long time, and Ivan, you were one of the first players to be physically, uh, I think we were all fit, but you kind of took it to the next level and you talked about it and the nutrition was right. Uh, and... Uh, it was well documented how hard you worked. We all worked really hard as well on the tennis court, but not off the court. Andy Murray, he works this hard and he shows up at the French Open and he doesn't show emotion. What, how do you look at that as, a, as an older player? We still have to have the emotion to play our best tennis or can you come out and change your mind and just be calm and level-headed and then still achieve what you want to achieve? How did this hit you, Ivan, when you got older? Maybe less emotion. Well, I don't, I don't necessarily would call it emotion. I would call it passion. And I know you got criticized a lot for saying that Andy should uh, not be taking wild cards and leave it to the young players. And I, I disagree. Uh, I disagree. I think players like Andy Murray or Pete Sampras, before he won his last US Open, everybody was asking me, shouldn't Pete Sampras retire? And I said, Pete Sampras has earned the right to retire when he wants to retire. Sure. Okay. Yeah. And uh, also, let's go a little bit back in the history of wild cards. The wild cards in general were given to the sponsors to get attractive players for their tournament. It kind of turned somewhat towards young players, which, which is fine as well. But it's nowhere, nowhere written that it needs to be young player, not somebody older. To me, Andy Murray has earned the right to play when he wants to play, as long as he has passion for it. Uh, sure. I'm not much in touch with Andy. We exchange texts here and there, and uh, I do the same thing with uh, Jamie Delgado. 
and I do believe from little bits and pieces uh, I have that Andy has the passion. What happened at the French, I think was not normal. Something, something else happened and I don't know what that was. But right. uh, I think Andy has the passion. I think Andy is uh, trying to prove that he can come back after serious hip surgery. And uh, all I can say is we all should be pulling for him and wish him the best. Oh, yeah. No, I'm pulling for him 100%. I'm with you, Ivan. He has deserved it. I think the, the interesting question is passion. Does Andy have the passion? And I think he does. I am 100% sure that he so. does. Oh, 100%. But are you supposed to show it every time you go on court? And that's the next question is how does these guys, how does even Rafa Nadal, Roger Federer, I mean, 34, 35, 39 years old. I mean, I couldn't do it. Ivan, you didn't stay in the game that long. I don't know if it was a lack of passion or if it was a physical ability uh, that, that prevented us from playing into. What is it, Alex, with Rafa that is so different? Rafa and Roger, and to a certain degree, Novak. What do they have that we did not have uh, in terms of passion? Well, I think they realize that they're playing for the history of the game even more than you guys that for us were... were when we were growing up, you, uh, you know, Stefan, all these guys, Boris, uh, we were thinking that you were like so big. They reach a level where they're fighting to become even better. And I think they just uh, fighting to each other to prove, even if they don't say that, uh, who's going to be the best at the end of the day. And little by little, they're winning more and more. And the passion that they've got is huge. And also they see that they're they still better than the others, probably because they play best of five, which they've got more room to, to win those matches. And they feel very comfortable, in my opinion, playing the slams, because at the end of the day, I don't think they have the feeling that they're going to lose with anyone on the tour besides top five or top three in the world. That gives them a big advantage. I don't know if you had that feeling when you were 32 or 33 years old, you know, that you are a little bit tired and you feel like, oh, it's difficult for me to win first or second round. It looks to me like first round or first week of the slams, they almost, almost, with all the respects to everyone, gets a little bit bored. No, I think for me it was, and I'm interested to hear you, Ivan, but for me, I, the only time when I got to 30, 31, 32, the only time I really felt like I had a chance to do anything was at the Grand Slams. And even back then, because it was five sets and you felt, well, I know how to do this. Uh, it was tough, though, every day to try and get up and, and, and not to practice. That was easy, but to feel that passion that you need to make tactical decisions. Ivan, for you, uh, if you had the, the opportunities and the facilities, the circumstances that players have today, would you have wished to keep playing till 36, 37, 39, even 40 years old? Or can you imagine yourself doing that? Yes, I can. Uh, I absolutely loved playing. Uh, for me, it was my body. My body just gave up and I just couldn't do it anymore. But yeah. also keep in mind, uh, 34 those days was really old. Yeah. 30 was really old. Yeah, These days, uh, 33, 34, you, uh, you're still there because they have better care, they have better nutrition, they have smarter training, they have learned a lot of things which we didn't know. So, uh, 35 is the new 30. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Very different. Very different. Uh, actually, look, Ivan, he's about to come back. Look, his Versa climber he has behind him. He's like about <laughs> to. <laughs> you... 
Is it I said, it's my best friend and my worst enemy. <laughs> I've heard I've heard that there have been certain bets placed uh, in and around a versa climber, Ivan, that has involved you with certain uh, people around Andy Murray's team. And give us a little more insight there, please, about the competitive nature of of Ivan Lendl off the tennis court. Well, uh, it was interesting. We were uh, before Wimbledon. We went to LTA training center at Roehampton, and they had a Versa climber there. So I got on it because I used to train on it, and I wanted to see if my back is going to hold up for it, and it did. But uh, I was not in that great of a shape. And Jess Green, who is uh, or who was at the time and this conditioning coach, was just making. Uh, insulting, stupid, silly remarks to me. So it led to a bet that uh, during the training camp in uh, Key Biscayne in uh, November or December, we're going to do 30 minutes on the Versa climber and the loser is going to have to read a statement written by the winner during Andy's press conference in Australia. And so I got myself a Versa climber. I trained six days a week and uh, it wasn't much of a contest. And oh, uh, really? if, if you go on Jazz Green Confession on YouTube, you will find that. And uh, Jazz did a great job reading the statement. Uh, I was very kind. I could have been nastier to him, but uh, Jazz <laughs> is a good guy. That's too funny. That's too funny. Uh, Ivan... The funniest, funniest yeah. part, Matt, is uh, looking at Andy with his face down, trying not to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you could see that. You know, you could see that. I think that's what. That's what um, I think we all knew, Ivan. Um, all the the players that were around you and in the locker room uh, realized that that underneath yours and Andy Murray's, I think there must must have been a lot of sense of humor that made the day um, sort of go go by easier. And you gotta have fun, and I know that you had fun too much sometimes and all the time. But there was a time, well, who's Ivan. A, who, who is to judge if it's too much? Come on. Exactly, exactly. But there was a time, Ivan, when uh, we played the finals of the US Open in 87 and then, and then in 88. And somewhere around those two finals, I was living in Manhattan in 87. I moved to Greenwich and I heard this joke. Uh, and they said, do you know if a Swedish tennis player and a Czech tennis player jumps from the top of the Empire State Building, who hits the ground first? And I said, mm, don't know. And the guy said, well, nobody cares. Nobody <laughs> there cares. You there you go. So what, how was that for you to uh, not to, to maybe not be the fan favorite? That's the wrong statement. But I think you didn't care about what the fans thought of you or did you care or did you use it in a way to to fuel you how well, how did you look at that look uh, you do care but you have to do what you have to do and if some people like it then i don't care okay yeah. i have yeah. to train certain way i have to put certain number of hours and so on in and if uh, that means I do 10 less interviews, so I do 10 less interviews. I also need time to rest. And uh, that's what it is. But uh, I think the key is you have to learn how to take energy from the crowd. So, for yeah. example, if I play Davis Cup in Czech Republic, I wanted to win because I didn't want to let the crowd down. If I play Davis Cup in Argentina, I took the energy from the crowd because I wanted to piss them off. <laughs> uh, there's nothing better than that. 
<laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, well uh, Matt, let me tell you that about the fan favorite or not. I have a poster. I had a poster on my room from this uh, from this gentleman here, Ivan Lender. So you had no taste. Okay, good. So I, I do because I loved your wristbands like this big. Okay, <laughs> I loved it. And then also from Stefan Edberg, Matt, I have to say I picked the, maybe a different Swedish, maybe because of Adidas. And I have to tell you something, Ivan, you might not remember. I played against you in Bordeaux 92. And you yes, I remember. Really? Oh, oh yeah. First thing was good. six lap, Alex. No, no, man, six <laughs> one, I think. Six one, don't still one game. Six one. <laughs> no, but listen, you, you just passed me with the forehand and I was like, yes, I saw that on TV many times. So he did it to me as well. So I was proud that you did that. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yes, yes, unbelievable. <laughs> Even if you beat me, one in four. But then I called my mom. So I said, mom, could you just please remove the poster of the wall? Because I don't want to play this guy and think that he's my idol. So from that day on, I respected you so much, but you were not my idol anymore. At least that well, I, I, the, I was thinking. The, the question, Alex, I have, did you make it a dartboard or did you just burn it? Uh, burn it, burn it completely. Burn it, okay. <laughs> Very good. Yes. Yeah, no, I can imagine. I had a poster of Guillermo Villas when I played him in the finals of the French Open 82, but I kept it up. Um, uh, so, Ivan, I remember I, I, I actually talked to you a little bit when Sasha Zverev won uh, the ATP finals in uh, 2018. Of course, Stefano Tsitsipas won it last year. Uh, and you said something to me about playing smart tennis. Uh, and you said it's going to take Sasha Zverev a year and a half. And you said something that has, has stayed with me. These guys are hitting the ball so freaking hard that it's difficult to play really smart tennis all the time. And it's hard from the outside to realize how hard they hit the ball now compared to how we hit it back then. So what is this younger generation, Ivan? What is that what they're doing that could maybe compete with Rafa, Roger, and Novak, not at this moment, but in four or five years, are they going to hit the ball harder the top than they are today? I think they are, Mats. And um, going uh, back a little bit in our conversation today when uh, Alex was talking about Rafa and uh, the Masters and indoors, on Saturday I watched a little bit of Zverev against Rafa from Paris. And you can see in that match how difficult it is for Rafa he can't run around his backhand. He hit more backhands than he ever does in a match. He does not have the serve plus forehand that often because the ball comes back faster. Then when it goes to his forehand, it goes fast, flat, and he cannot control the points. And you can see why it's causing Rafa such problems. On the other hand, the, the second thing I took from that match is I understand why it's Zverev's best surface sort of medium fast indoors just like was in paris just like was in london two years ago when he won uh it comes into his forehand nicely so he doesn't have the high ball and low ball there is no wind and uh, he, he can serve much better his percentages of first serves are higher because of no wind and also everything comes into his striking zone that's why he's mm -hmm. so much better on that than uh, outside Right. Yeah, no, that's for but, sure. Yes, the guys, the guys five years from now will be hitting the ball harder. And uh, I remember one year, uh, probably 1983, 
I was having trouble beating McEnroe. So I sat at home and watched some tapes from 1982 when I was beating him. And after 10 minutes, I said, these two guys today are so much better than the guys a year ago. Oh, there, there's really? no point watching these tapes. So five years is a long time. There will be no Roger, no Rafa, no Novak, most likely in five years. So these guys will take over. And uh, it will be interesting to see what, who and how it's going to play out. Is it going to be only power without any finesse? Or is the guy who has somewhat of a finesse where he can hit a drop shot, where he can come to the net, where he can hit a good back and offensive slice, mm-hmm. who is going to be winning? It's, uh, it's yet to be determined. Right, right. Alex, how do you see that? Stefanos Tsitsipas plays exactly like Ivan is talking about. He, he can chip it back and he comes to the net, hits the ball really hard. Uh, where do you see these guys? What does their tennis look like in two, three years when one of these guys is the number one in the world? Well, what it gives me a little bit of hope is that they play on such a big course, especially on the slams that even if they play very fast and hard, they've got still some room to try to defend and play with the different heights, which I think it might help a little bit the different of tactics. When they play in a smaller court, it's way more difficult to play and it comes everything so fast. So in my opinion, uh, power, it would be very important, but whoever is more consistent will still manage to win more matches. Because smaller court, Alex. Alex, smaller court, you have to explain that to uh, me and to the listeners, please. Yes, sorry. Well, when we talk about smaller court, I know that the lines are the same. But when you play on court uh, 12 of Australian Open and US Open or so, the distance between the baseline and the, and the back fans is uh, just three, four meters maybe, while in the big stadiums is like maybe eight or nine meters. So you can see team or Rafa, whoever returning so far back or even Medvedev. So maybe in the future, they will play closer to the baseline because they're doing more and more, but still they've got some more time to defend from, from uh, very strong shots from the opponents. So what I said is like consistency, it will still be very important to become a very good player, even if they hit very hard, I believe. Mm. You see, Mats, uh, what Alex is saying is absolutely right. Uh, the courts now have roofs, which yeah. I understand why they have roofs, and uh, I'm kind of resigned to the fact that's the way the game is going. But Australian Open with the roof on plays like an indoor court. Yeah, uh, Wimbledon is different, uh, but US Open, even with the roof open, the roof overhangs so much that the outside elements are not much in play. Most of the day that court is in shade now, as it didn't used to be, and so on and so on. But also to how these guys play the game, if you go back to this year's French Open finals, there were a few interesting things Rafa has done, which he has not done against Novak in the past. The one which stands out the most, he was slicing a short backhand down the line to Novak's backhand. What did that do? That brought Novak forward where he either had to hit the shot and back up or he had to hit the shot and come in where Rafa is standing in the back end corner and uh, you, you hit it there, your toes, because he's standing, you hit it to his forehand on the run, your toes as well. So yeah. Novak was choosing most of the time to either hit a drop shot or back up. These young guys can't do that. I have not seen a young player use, uh, use a strategy like this. And yeah. we all talk about their movement. 
Zverev is six foot six, incredible mover, side to side. Okay? Uh, Tsitsipas, same thing. All these young guys, they move well side to side. The guy who is the best in the game moving north-south instead of side to side, but back and forth, is Roger. Okay? Arguably one of the greatest players in the game. And I think Medvedev is quite good at it as well, where he is way back, but as soon as he hits a good shot, he moves closer to the baseline so he can take advantage of a big reply. And yeah. that's what's missing in a lot of guys' repertoire. And I think the player at this point who is going to do it the best may be the favorite to be the best of them all. Mm. Because consistently the tactics is more aggressive and in the long run that's got to... That, that has to help you. And I agree with you. Daniel Medvedev, of course, won the Paris Masters. Uh, it's Bessie beating Sasha Zverev in, in three sets. And he did exactly that. So, um, and guys, Max, you, you, do have, uh, you do have the technology at Eurosport. You can look at striking point for Zverev in the semifinals against Rafa, where he played closer to the baseline than I have ever seen him play. And mm. then against Medvedev, where he backed up again, not, not as far back as some other times, but he was still noticeably further back than in the semifinals. I think it helps him to have David Ferrer in his corner, especially when he plays against Rafa. Uh, but uh, I, it's going to be a very... David is a great guy, and I'm sure he remembers how to play a lot of these guys, so it helps yeah. him, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's going to be a great uh, ATP Finals um, thank you very much, Alex. I'm going to give you the last word to have a chance to ask Ivan something uh, that you have been wondering um, about that poster thing. I don't know how you would have Ivan <laughs> on your wall. I mean, are you well, crazy? Now, if, if you will have, because I'm sure that you've been having so many choices and options to work with players, if some player would call you now, which one would you like to say? This, this guy or girl, I, I will help. I don't know, Alex. Um, it's very, very difficult because it's one thing sitting in your house in Vero Beach, Florida, and think about that. But as I always say, when somebody contacts me and they're interested, not only do they interview me, I interview them. Mm -hmm. And it has to be a good, good match. For example, when uh, you were leaving Andy, uh, I got a call from Darren uh, Cahill and said, would you meet with us? We're looking for a coach for Andy. We would like to tap your ideas. I said, sure. So we met and we talked for three, four hours about uh, different people who coach and so on and so on. And, you know, I, I went home, didn't think much of it. I get a call a week later. And uh, the call is, would you be interested in the job? I said, yeah. well, that's totally different. We need to meet again because I have a lot of questions. <laughs> so I think it's very important that you have to hit it off on human level. You have to hit it off in how you think that player should play. If you think you should stay back and I think you should come in, we're never going to do well together. Uh, because one of us will have to compromise our beliefs and we're all stubborn individuals. That's how we got where we are or where we were. And by compromising, it's not going to work because our heart is not going to be in it 100%. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
So I think it's very, very important to kind of agree on things before you even start working. So I'm not trying to avoid your questions. There are many young players who are, who are uh, talented, but I can't really answer your question. So I got I got I got to insert before I let you go. Then I got to insert there. Is that why the parent, the parent uh, as a coach, is working so well? Because there's not going to be a compromise there because the parents know their son or daughter very well. And is that why it's so successful? Because it it does seem like it's pretty successful. Of course, there's a lot of situations when parents are coaching that we don't see that are disasters. But in the top of the men's game, there's quite a few now that, that have been successful. What do you think, Ivan, about that parent coaching situation? Well, I think parents deserve incredible amount of credit to get the kids where they are. Yep. Let's start with that. I also believe very strongly that comes, there comes time and point or point in time where the parents should step aside. And I was, uh, I was uh, with Andy and uh, his mom, Judy, did not want to have anything to do with it. I invited her to lunches with us. I invited her to come to practices. And she says, no, 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 you're, you're the guy. He's in good hands. I don't need to be there. Okay. But if you talk to Alex from a few years earlier, it was a little different. And, you know, everybody has, uh, everybody has different threshold when the parents... Uh, kind of step away. You can look at Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods came out of college and his father was a huge influence. But all of a sudden there is Butch Harmon, there is IMG, uh, there, there is an agent and so on and so on. And Tiger became more independent. I do not know, was it because his father realized he should be with somebody who can offer him more because he already gave him everything he can? Is right. it because Tiger had enough and said that this? Is it the IMG or the agent who convinced a senior to, uh, to be less active and so on and so on? But at some point, I think it comes to that where the kids move away from home. Yeah, basically, right. right? You sure. move away from home and you take over your own life and you, take, you make your own decisions. That yeah. point is there. So yeah. once that point happens, then they need help from somewhere else. Yeah. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Well, it's going to be an interesting ATP finals because uh, obviously it's Stefano Tsitsipas defending and there's so many great players and we still have Rafa and Novak Djokovic in it. So guys, thank you very much. Ivan, always a pleasure. Thanks so much. I will now have a few sleepless nights after the 1987 finals in Madison Garden was brought up by Alex. Thank you, Alex. Well, well let, me, let me say something about that, Max. You texted me earlier that you want to talk about that. So I'm pretty <laughs> sure it was a setup through Alex to talk about it, right? <laughs> I have to say this. 1987 may have been my best year on the tour. And that match we played at Madison Square Garden may have been one of the best matches I played. People and coaches and psychologists uh, talk about getting into the zone. How do you get into the zone? I do not know till today. There is a thing called subzone, and you can learn how to get, or I did learn how to get into the subzone more frequently, and so on and so on. Into the zone, I just fell into it in that match. Maybe one of five matches or so where wow. I felt I fell into the zone, 
And I felt like I can do nothing wrong that day. And I felt I was floating around the court and could hit any shot I wanted to. I tell you what, and I, I don't mean to rub it in or anything like that. No. It was one of the greatest feelings uh, when you play yes. number two player in the world and you win and you're in the zone in a big match like this sure. and you just play and it just flows and you don't remember anything from the match. No, I, I thank you very much for making trying to make me feel better. Uh, I, no, I wasn't actually, trying to do that. Oh, you didn't? Well, it was no, actually no, no, my no. last Masters. I quit playing. I could have made it in 88 so and I decided headed, not to. So, no, thank you. Don't get you. so no, big you, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you for that. No, you were in the zone. Um, guys, thank you so much. Uh, I hope you guys have uh, a... A good holiday season that's coming up. Of course, first, we have the ATP Finals in the O2 Arena. I'm sure you guys will be watching. Alex, great to see you. Ivan, great to see you. Uh, hopefully, we'll see you very soon again. Thanks, everyone, for listening to yet another Legends podcast on Eurosport. <laughs>